Liberty Tabletop is America's flatware company, the only flatware that's manufactured in the U.S. of A. There are over 38 patterns to choose from. Like a couple of patterns and you can't decide, you can order a sample of each. And check out their website at libertytabletop.com and enter the promo code BEN for 15% off all flatware. Just in time for you to freshen up your holiday table setting with Liberty Tabletop Flatware, manufactured in the United States. They make great wedding and Christmas gifts, too. Flatware that can be passed down for generations. So check out their website at LibertyTabletop.com and enter promo code BEN for 15% off all flatware. LibertyTabletop.com, promo code BEN. Local government bond elections. They can be contentious. They can be controversial. Got a question. When they are occurring, do you think that the local government officials, be it your city, be it your county, be it your school district, do you think those officials really want a good, honest, substantive conversation, debate about the passage of such things? Or do they just want to put together a nice little glossy campaign that voters come in and say, oh, yeah, 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 yes, we'll just, you know, we'll rubber stamp that because we know these are good people and they would never lie to us. They would never misrepresent anything. What do you think? I've always been a little bit cynical thinking that it's probably more the window dressing approach that at least is sought. And that attitude took a pretty good spike over the weekend. Sit tight and I'll tell you why. Welcome to Political Pursuits, the podcast. I'm Lou Ann Anderson. Yep, here we are. November 2nd is rapidly approaching. It will be Election Day, not only in my town of Temple, Texas, but across the state of Texas and across the U.S. Going to be lots of interesting races to be watching. Over this weekend, the Temple Daily Telegram, our local newspaper, they published an article that I wrote, an article that was based on what to me are three reasons to vote no for the Temple Independent School bond election. I think it's time to withhold money from TISD until it pays off its existing debt and stops indoctrinating students. My three reasons are, number one, TISD is already mired in debt. Number two, with the feds and state piling up debt, this is the worst time for school taxes to go up. And three, Schools that are woke should not be rewarded with more taxpayer money. So, what did I send to my local newspaper, the Temple Daily Telegram? Here we go. I'm going to read it to you. There has never been a worse time to increase our school tax burden. Why? Per the Texas Bond Review Board, TISD is already mired with current bond debt of $264.7 million dollars. That's $174.6 million principal, $90.1 million interest. The advertised bond packages totaling $184.9 million reflect principal only. With projected interest, probably $74 million or so, an honest reporting of new debt sought approaches $260 million, functionally doubling taxpayers' existing financial liability. A voter's combined local debt 
TISD, City of Temple, Bell County, and Temple College exceeds $1 billion. U.S. plus State of Texas tax liability is similarly growing. TISD proudly promotes use of the ADL-sponsored No Place for Hate program. A curriculum review reveals strong commonality with critical race theory ideology. Should woke schools be rewarded with more taxpayer dollars? Though credible projects likely exist within the larger bond package, an ask of this size, especially now, seems imprudent. Our country is moving into a period of significant economic malaise. The misery index is here. Bond package items cite fixing, replacing, and or upgrading various TISD facilities. The rest of the world is facing serious supply chain issues with highly inflated prices, issues that will negatively impact the construction industry. TISD officials may believe they're immune from such constraints, but reality suggests otherwise. The same issues logically apply to the 6,900-plus homes purported to be built. Market conditions rapidly declined throughout 2021. The economy in which the two bond packages were developed is neither today's economy nor that of the foreseeable future. Responsible stewards of taxpayer funds better serve their constituents by recognizing the need for a course change. A future reworked, smaller package featuring real necessities seems a more marketable ask. Vote no. That was my letter. I was excited to start getting texts Saturday morning saying your, your letter is in the paper. I went to read it. And I'm reading through it. And I'm looking there. And it's all seeming to be there and so I'm really decide you know really glad that that it's having a chance to get some exposure and then all of a sudden something hit me something was wrong something wasn't there and as I went back and read it more closely it suddenly occurred to me that my three reasons were no longer three they were now two there were three sentences 32 words that had been removed. As someone who does a lot of writing and who understands when the the paper says there's a 250-word limit on letter to the editor's submissions, I guarantee you that piece was worked down and I used every one of those 250 words and not one more. The length wasn't the problem. It would appear it was the content. Because let me read to you what these Three sentences, 32 words that were removed. TISD proudly promotes use of the ADL-sponsored No Place for Hate program. A curriculum review reveals strong commonality with critical race theory ideology. Should woke schools be rewarded with more taxpayer dollars? Those three sentences were removed by the Temple Daily Telegram. I use the term proudly because TISD, they have these banners hanging from the No Place for Hate designated campuses around town. I use the word proudly because they write news releases and post them on the TISD website touting that they have six campuses who have this ADL designated status. I use the term proudly because the Temple Daily Telegram seemed very happy to provide prominent news coverage of these schools receiving these designations. There was a little ceremony, evidently, at a school board meeting, 
and the schools were, were presented with their banners, and so that suggests pride. So if you're proud of something, why then now can we not talk about it? I made the point on a, on a flyer that I've been using with regard to my three issues of this, this campaign that the schools that are woke should not be rewarded for more taxpayer money. Points that I use to, to make that out, TISD claims to not teach critical race theory. For a spokesperson, we teach the mandated curriculum, the state-mandated curriculum, and CRT is not included. The district proudly promotes its use of the No Place for Hate program. Voters should review the program's website to judge for themselves if this shares commonality with CRT, critical race theory, content. And I can't help but ask, but were the disturbing accounts of the September 29th peaceful protests that we had at Temple High School reflective of this program's impact on the school's population? Now, what exactly is No Place for Hate? I've done some, some podcasts where we've really gone into this. My friend Lynn Woolley and I have done some things where we've gone into this. But I do want to run through a couple of quick things about it. This is a program. It's in more than 1,600 K-12 schools. It has some worthy aims, such as condemning bullying and promoting empathy. But it also has some very disturbing um, elements to it. For one thing, to receive the No Place for Hate designation, at least 75% of a school's students must sign a pledge. It's said to be voluntary, but some teachers are directed to repeatedly urge students who haven't signed the pledge to do so. The pledge itself extols shared virtues, but do kids really need to sign the pledge to be seen as kind, respectful, and rejecting hate? And I can tell you, the pledge, it says things like for the elementary school kiddos. I promise to do my best to, to treat everyone fairly. I promise to do my best to be kind, even if they are not to everyone, even if they are not like me. I will help others to feel safe and happy at schools. For middle school and high school, I will seek to gain understanding of those who are different from me. I will speak out against prejudice and discrimination. I will reach out to support those who are targets of hate. I believe that one person can make a difference. No person can be an innocent bystander when it comes to opposing hate. I don't have a real problem with, with any of these things, but I don't know why I would need to sign a pledge in order to do what I think is acting like a decent human being. Another thing that's kind of disturbing about this program is that the schools that implement it are supposed to cede a significant power over day-to-day -day operations to the group that sponsors it. The group is the Anti-Defamation League. Schools are expected to notify the ADL when any incident of bias, bullying, discrimination, or harassment occurs and work with it to address them or risk revocation of its No Place for Hate designation. Number one, that sounds like a potential a violation of privacy laws. And number two, if there is some incident, I'm not sure that some outside activist, liberal activist organization is really where I need to want to the school to first turn for guidance and direction. Schools are strongly encouraged to use the ADL-supplied curriculum, and students must complete three approved activities throughout the year. These activities can be things like K-2 through students learn about the cycle of inequality and that racism comes from ideas that white people deserve to be in charge and treated better. Middle schoolers, consider the extent to which dress codes unfairly target certain identity groups. 
They navigate around the identity iceberg, which tells kids not to assume their peers' race or gender by their appearance. For high schoolers, we explore how microaggressions are pervasive in everyday life. They also delve into the pyramid of hate, which asserts that the depression is widespread in society and seems to imply that not being aware of privilege can lead on a continuum to genocide. The program rightly strives for harmony and respect, but you got to wonder that is this is the best way to achieve those goals to keep kids hyper-focused, hypersensitive on their differences and instruct them that those differences determine their identity and suggest that their identity dictates whether they're a dominant part of society or a part of the victim group of society. It also, there's no place for hate, and I'm going to tell you a little bit more about this. It tells students to, to move on from kindness, claiming they must understand how to engage in systems and society. The, the whole program, while, yes, it is nice to want to strive for social harmony and to understand that our words do have impact, I'm not sure if we're forming courageous, self-confident kids when we teach them to constantly spite microaggressions and that their identities define their place on the power continuum. Let me tell you, I've gone through many, many, many different materials related to this, to this program. I've got a, a lesson plan here. How should I talk about race in my mostly white classroom? And it goes... Part of the thing is clarifying that the goal is not to be colorblind. The goal of teaching about race and racism is to help students understand the historical context and current manifestations of racism in the U.S. There are many white people who believe the best way to eliminate racism is to not talk about it and not notice racial differences at all, i.e. be colorblind. They may want to tell young people not to notice differences because they conflate noticing differences with having bias. It may also be a way of avoiding to avoid dealing with discussions of race because they are uncomfortable. It is completely natural to notice race and other physical characteristics. Telling children not to see it is incorrect and confusing. Let students know that noticing difference, differences does not promote bias. Judging and discriminating based on race does. Well, that... I would think would be rather self-evident, but evidently not in the no place for hate world. Now, one of the things that's interesting is this book has online this no place for hate coordinator handbook and resource guide. A friend independently, without even knowing that I was doing research on this topic, she also had printed it out. When she sent me a text about it, she called it a community organizer's social activist operations manual for CRT. I think that's a pretty fair, a pretty fair assessment. With regard to the three activities that the schools are supposed to, to, to accomplish in order to get the No Place for Hate designation, of these three activities, this guide says develop and implement at least three school-wide activities that enhance students' understanding of diversity, bias, social justice, and inclusion, and which also foster equity and harmony in your school community. One of the things that I find is so interesting, some of the language that's used throughout this, this guide, is it always talks about developing alliances find ways to be an ally. Even on one of the, the sheets that is the activity planning recommendations, 
activity planning recommendations. This is the, the chapter or the section of the handbook on that. It has a graphic here of a flip chart and at the top it's written, what is a good ally? And it goes through and it lists all these characteristics of a good ally. Dependable, supportive, stands up, protective, on your side, brave, loyal, understanding, etc., etc. Well, I start thinking then if we are making such an emphasis on alliances, what happens if they perceive someone to not be an ally? What might a non-ally be? If I decline to sign that pledge because I really don't need to sign a piece of paper in order to know that I'm going to work to be kind, I'm going to work to not hurt people's feelings, I'm going to work to be fair to people, I'm certainly not going to go and discriminate against people based on their race. I'm going to do all that because I'm not a piece of blank, fill in your desired term, person. I don't need a piece of paper in order to try and live a decent, upstanding life. So, if I take that stand, am I no longer an ally? And if I'm not an ally, what am I? Because when I think about if you're not an ally... And the opposite of that, what do I think about? I think about things like um, terms like enemy, opponent, adversary, rival. I don't know. It makes me a little nervous to wonder what type of mindset you're trying to foment that it's so you're either with us or against us. Whatever happened to a more libertarian kind of bent of people should be allowed to kind of do their own thing so long as they're not hurting others. Something else that I find interesting is that the the ADL, the pledge, the No Place for Hate pledge, it does talk a lot about kindness. And one of the sections of this, uh, of this guide, this organizer's guide, the coordinator's handbook, it talks about how each year ADL receives activities from participating No Place for Hate schools that focus on kindness. Although learning how to demonstrate kindness is an important part of a child's social and emotional development, ADL highly encourages schools in designing their activities to move beyond kindness to social justice. And then it goes through several pages of explaining what kindness is, and it concludes a while later We should teach, model, and promote kindness as much and as often as we can, but we also need to teach and empower young people to engage in social action. That is the only way we can ultimately change societal inequities and bring about true, a truly just system. So we have this pledge that starts in the beginning, which seems kind of benign. It talks about kindness treating people fairly, helping people feel safe and happy at school. It seems kind of benign, but then all of a sudden, eh, well, kindness really isn't good enough. You also need to teach and empower young people to engage in social action. That is the only way we can ultimately change societal inequities and bring about a truly just system. Sounds a little bait and switch to me but I'm the cynic. The next section, moving from safe classrooms to brave classrooms. Remember, the pledge also talks about that I will help others to feel safe and happy at school. 
In fostering inclusive, equitable, and safe schools, we encourage educators to develop group guidelines for respect and safety in the classroom. Sounds good enough. However, there is a need to go further and frame guidelines around the concept of bravery instead of safety. Seems like we're moving into bait and switch territory again. From the guidebook. There are a few reasons for this. While these group agreements work for some, they don't always help everyone feel safe, respected, or included. For example, some people of color and or those who are members of marginalized groups may want to share real and sometimes harsh testimony about their experiences, something they might need to do in order to feel included and be able to participate. They may want to caucus with others in their same identity group in order to feel safe, or they may feel that being able to challenge others' bias is what is necessary to build empathy. Liberty Tabletop is America's flatware company, the only flatware that's manufactured in the U.S. of A. There are over 38 patterns to choose from. Like a couple of patterns and you can't decide, you can order a sample of each. And check out their website at libertytabletop.com and enter the promo code BEN for 15% off all flatware. Just in time for you to freshen up your holiday table setting with Liberty Tabletop Flatware, manufactured in the United States. They make great wedding and Christmas gifts, too. Flatware that can be passed down for generations. So check out their website at LibertyTabletop.com and enter promo code BEN for 15% off all flatware. LibertyTabletop.com, promo code BEN. Introducing Carvana Value Tracker, where you can track your car's value over time and learn what's driving it. It might make you excited. Whoa, didn't know my car was valued this high. It might make you nervous. Uh Uh-oh, market's flooded. My car's value just dipped 2.3%. It might make you optimistic. Our low mileage is paying off. Our value's up. And it might make you realistic. Mm, Car prices haven't gone up in a couple weeks. Maybe it's time to sell. But it will definitely make you an expert on your car's value. Carvana Value Tracker. Visit Carvana.com to start tracking your car's value today. People may have different ideas about what it means to feel safe, assume goodwill, participate fully. These different perspectives may be attributed to whether one is part of a marginalized or majority group in schools or society. Brave is defined as to have or show physical, emotional, or moral strength in the face of difficulty, danger, or fear. When you're brave, you do something that is hard for you. In a classroom or group, bravery goes both ways, giving and receiving. A brave space is one in which we accept that we will feel uncomfortable and may even defensive when exploring issues of bias and justice and oppression. A brave space is one in which we take risks, doing so with care and compassion. This is from the No Place for Hate Coordinator Handbook and Resource Guide 2021-2022. This is the program that the Temple Independent School District proudly promotes via banners on its buildings, via articles on its about it in the local paper, be it news releases on their website. They also maintain, per their spokesperson, that they do not teach critical race theory. I'm reading you what their materials say. You be the judge. One other thing I want to wrap up with on this this talk about No Place for Hate is there is a section that says, let's get it right, using correct pronouns and names. 
We use people's pronouns and names frequently and in regular everyday communication, both verbally and in writing. We do it almost without thinking because names and pronouns are the two ways people call and refer to others. They are personal and important. They are key facets of our identity. Therefore, calling someone by the wrong name or misgendering them by using incorrect pronouns can feel disrespectful, harmful, and even unsafe. From an early age, many were taught that pronouns should follow specific rules along the gender binary. She, her, hers for women and girls, and he, him, and his for boys and men. However, as our society has progressed in understanding gender identity, our language must also be updated. It should be accurate and convey understanding and respect for all people, especially for those who are transgender, gender nonconforming, and non-binary. TISD does not teach critical race theory, as per John Wallen, the TISD spokesperson. This manual, which is part of the No Place for Hate curriculum that TISD proudly promotes its use of, is online. I have a lot of these links on the Political Pursuits podcast Facebook page, and I invite you to go take a look at these. I'm not asking that anyone takes my word for this. Go look for yourself, see what you think, and see if you think Temple Independent School District is teaching a woke curriculum, and think about that in terms of this Tuesday's election. Do you want to give a district even more money for what would appear to many of us indoctrinating our children? Regarding the other two reasons to vote no that I have, they have to do with the economy. TISD is already mired in debt. We've been through that. We've been through those numbers. We've already got 260 some odd million dollars in debt. And this new, these two new bond proposals with the interest added, which of course the districts never mention about the interest, basically comes up to another $260 million. So the district is asking you to double the amount of tax that you're already on the hook for just for the Temple Independent School District. Combined with the city of Temple, the count Bell County, the Temple College District, which remember they just got a new bond passed back in May, the average TISD voter already has more than a billion dollars in local government debt. But if only it ended there. The state and the federal government are also both ambitiously piling up debt. I don't even know what else you say. You've got the U.S. national debt that's approaching $30 trillion. Per taxpayer, that's like $230,000. Debt per citizen is $88,000. Texas debt, it's approaching $342 billion. Per citizen, it's $12,000 per citizen. So think about this. If you're a family of four, oh yeah, you owe $48,000 of of tax just for the the state of Texas as well. And not to mention, we now have all this awful inflation we're having to deal with and economic uncertainty that's just off the charts of anything that anyone has seen in the last 30, 40 years. Rasmussen had some interesting numbers that came out this in the past week. A majority of Americans agree that the U.S. economy has gotten worse since Joe Biden was inaugurated. 57% say it's worse, 21% say it's better, 19% say it's about the same. Oh, here's another interesting thing. Um, 
all these schools don't teach CRT, but most Americans believe parents are right to be concerned about controversial teaching in public schools and reject the claim that these are phony issues. 76% of American adults concerned were concerned that public schools may be promoting controversial beliefs and attitudes, including 58% who were very concerned. 21% are not concerned. This is why I've been spending the time on this podcast talking to you about No Place for Hate so that you can understand what this curriculum appears to be teaching and go and do the research, go and ask the questions. If you have a kiddo in school, go and Hold the teacher's feet to the fire. What are you teaching our kids? Because this is the curriculum. And if they're doing this, then it's good to know. If they're not doing this, and oh, it's just like a a me too feel good. Oh, we want the banner, but nah, we didn't really want to have to do the work. Well, for those of us who still think character counts, that's kind of a deal too. And one more number that I'll leave you with here, 32% of likely U.S. voters have told Rasmussen that they think that the country is headed in the right direction. 32%. So what does that tell you? 68% say, nah, it's in the wrong direction. You know, right track, wrong track. I'm still maintaining that we need to have an off the track category right now because that's where it feels like a lot of days things are going. I mean, you look at it. Wage growth happened in 2019. It was the first time since 1972 it was a striver's economy. Wages rose 11% with 1% inflation. 2019 is probably going to be known as the most prosperous year for many decades, potentially for some of our lifetime. But instead, what's happened since that? We've had, effectively, we have an open border. We had the disastrous surrender in Afghanistan that now has opened up all sorts of national security issues and threats and foreign policy issues. The economic indicators are bleak and getting bleaker. You have Biden with his radical economic agenda. Crude oil is at the highest price since 2014. Same goes for gasoline's futures, which are going to work their way through the delivery system to the pump. Make no mistake. Stagflation is the worst of both worlds. It's stagnant wages and inflation. We're going to have a holiday season coming up here of angst and frustration. It is going to be a truly blue Christmas. The PCE, the personal Consumption Expenditure Index is at its highest level in 30 years. It soared above 5% for the last three months. Those are the highest levels since 2008. Energy costs are spiking, and that's worrisome. Biden inherited an, an American country that wasn't just energy independent. We were energy dominant. We were a full-spectrum energy superpower. We exported fuels to the entire world while providing cheap, plentiful energy to America's homes, our farms, and our factories. Instead, though, the new administration came in with a one-two punch to the solar plexus of the middle class. Biden declared war on American energy and then teamed up with Pelosi and Schumer to kick American spending into overdrive, causing inflation everywhere. Autumn's great. We're all enjoying this cooler weather, the falling temperatures. But when we get into winter, many families this winter are going to struggle with higher home heating costs, especially the working class families struggling to pay crippling higher home heating costs. Propane 
prices have almost tripled since Biden took office. Natural gas prices have nearly doubled. They're up 89%. Even worse, when cash-strapped consumers start holiday shopping, they're going to face not only higher prices, but severe shortages of key goods. Why? Because the supply chains have broken down. A large part of the blame is the disruption for the disruption is a lack of workers. Even the liberal Washington Post admits that there aren't enough truckers or warehouse workers. That's why we have all those ships lined up in L.A. and Long Beach harbors with all those containers that they can't get the goods off. If they did have anybody to actually unload the ships, do they have anybody there with a truck that's of the right age for the California emission standards and is a union and all of the bells and whistles that, that the state of California makes truckers jump through, are there going to be enough of those people to even drive this to other places? And if they get to a destination, does that locale, are they going to have enough workers in their warehouse to be able to unload, help unload the, the trucks and then restock and reship the merchandise out to retail areas or to be used in warehouses that are fulfillment centers for online retailers. There is no shortage of problems of places where this economy is stumbling. You know, paying people all summer to not work wasn't the best idea. And unfortunately, we are reaping the bitter harvest of Biden's radical economic agenda. Americans will face shortages and perhaps profound ones. And when they, the goods they want and need for Christmas are in stock, the prices are going to be shocking. Now, with all of this and what you're seeing at the grocery store, what you're seeing at the gas pump, is this the time that you also want to turn around and give the Temple Independent School District, oh, it's just another hundred or so dollars for every hundred thousand of valuation that you have. Everybody's coming at it from that nickel and dime. Everybody, your food. This year, it's just come out here in the, in the last week or so that uh, the Thanksgiving 2021 could be the most expensive meal in the history of the holiday. We've got here about a, a gentleman, Matthew McClure, paid 20% more this month than he did last, last year for the 25 pasture-raised turkey he plans to roast at his restaurant in Bentonville, Arkansas. Another lady that's the director of Sweet Potato Sales in Wada Farms in Raleigh, North Carolina, is paying truckers nearly twice as much much as usual to haul the crop to other parts of the country. Nearly every component of the traditional American Thanksgiving dinner, from the disposable aluminum turkey roasting pan to the coffee and pie, will cost more this year. Major food companies like Nestle's and Procter Gamble have already warned consumers to brace for higher prices. Granted, last year the cost of a Thanksgiving dinner was the lowest it has been since 2010, but because of the pandemic, fewer people bought for big gatherings and turkey prices were kept low to entice shoppers. This year, turkey prices are likely to hit record highs and the cost of many foods has jumped sharply. There is no single culprit. The nation's food supply has been battered by a knotted supply chain, high transportation expenses, labor shortages, trade policies, and bad weather. Inflation is at play, too. And speaking of Procter & Gamble, it is said that it will raise prices on a number of household staple goods as the cost for raw materials and freight has increased faster than it had anticipated. The company, which makes a range of products, including Tide and Charmin, said it would begin to charge more for oral care, beauty, and razors. Earlier this year, Procter & Gamble said it would charge more for toilet paper and diapers. 
Global supply chains are under strain due to factors such as a resurgence of COVID-19 cases and lockdowns in Asia and labor shortages in the United States, leading to a surge in raw material prices that is also squeezing profits at Unilever and Reckitt-Benkiser. Meanwhile, inflation in the U.S. is at the highest level in years amid supply chain bottlenecks and labor issues. Truckers are warning that Biden's vaccine mandate could further cripple the supply chain. An organization representing trucking companies warned that proposed federal COVID-19 vaccine mandates may wreak significant damage on the U.S. supply chain amid a dearth of truckers and backlogs at ports. But the problems aren't just here. China's power crunch might fuel Christmas price increases of up to 15% in the U.S., an economist warns. More than half of China's provinces have issued local power restrictions since September. The resulting widespread power outages and cuts under Beijing's new energy policies will likely fuel global inflation by 0.5 to 1 percent and may drive price increases in the United States of 10 to 15 percent over the Christmas season on retail goods imported from China. The power outages in China will cut off one-third of the country's production capacity. Wan Yun, a Chinese economist who now lives in the U.S., told the Epoch Times. Affected by China's power outages and cuts, some retail goods sold in the U.S. could see higher prices since about 40% of those products come from China. This price increase is expected in the two months before and after Christmas. Following a survey of Chinese-based manufacturers, it's estimated that China's power crunch on the global supply chain will mainly be reflected in four industries— textiles, toys, stationery and office supplies, computers and computer accessories, and machine parts. But all these houses are going to get built. All these new buildings are going to get built. At least in Temple, Texas, none of these things are going to make a difference. Ladies and gentlemen, I could go on and on and on, but that doesn't make sense and that doesn't get us anywhere. You get the point. Life is costing you a whole lot more than it did even 90 days ago and it's not looking to get better anytime soon. With that, one more time, we ask the question, is now the time to go raise taxes for your local governments? It's something to think about. And what I would suggest is don't listen to the noise. Pay attention to the signal. Does doubling the debt for the TISD with everything else that we've got going on as a society, everything else we have going on in our economy, both nationally and globally, does it make sense to be out there ratcheting up more spending? Voting is November 2nd. I hope you will give long, hard consideration, not just to what the the district's telling you. They're the usual, oh, it's for the kids and it's just a few dollars more. Well, everything's a few dollars more and it's always for the kids. And what else is going to be for the kids is debt racked up that generations to come are going to have to be digging out from that debt. Is that what you wish for the kids? The peer pressure is rampant. You know, we're getting the the letters from prominent citizens. We have uh, executives writing, touting their financial expertise. And, oh, yeah, you know, it's good to go ahead and take on more debt. Ironically, the company, you know, some people work for, last time it was sold, what made it appealing to its current buyer, uh, current owner group would be that it didn't have a lot of debt. But, no, debt's fine for any local government group. Seniors, 
This thing about, oh, seniors, don't worry. You can vote a tax increase for your friends, your neighbors, although I have friends, maybe former friends, if you do it. People you know, your family, it won't cost you a dime, but anybody who's under 65, they're generally going to have to have a tax increase. So you can go ahead and do that to them if you would like. Now, the district, bless their hearts, they do have one disadvantage this time, and that is they don't have the rolling polling. Remember how used to you would have the polls go one day a week, they would go to different campuses, different school campuses, which conveniently, oddly, a lot of times it ended up that the day that the the polls happened to be on campus, there would be some kind of school event that would help to lure, I mean, that would help to attract parents coming in and therefore encourage more voting. You know, perhaps on a Friday night, the polling the, the polling machines would end up at the high school when there happened to be, son of a gun, a home football game. Funny how those things happen. Thankfully, the legislature recently outlawed that practice, which is called rolling polling. And so it's not there to be used as an advantage for school districts, for community colleges or anybody else now. But I did laugh at a meeting I went to. The district was handing out a map of November 2nd polling locations. And with it, they also had a notation of the closest campuses to each of the polling locations. So they are still trying to be good community players and and help everybody out to make sure they can get to the polls. With that, all I can say is think about this, vote your best interests, not just listening to what the district is telling you, but think about it from the standpoint, the larger picture of what's happening in your life, what's happening with this economy, and what not are you doing for your child five years from now and that they may get to bright, shiny school, but what are you doing for that kid 25 years from now with the kind of debt that they may be saddled if we keep on this spending, spending, spending? I've said to so many people, the pandemic, the virus may be over, but we have a spending fever and it is raging now. That's all I have. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your interest. Go check out the No Place for Hate program. Decide for yourself. Links to all of that are on the Political Pursuits Facebook page. Meanwhile, I'm Lou Ann Anderson. This is Political Pursuits, the podcast. Talk soon. Liberty Tabletop is America's flatware company, the only flatware that's manufactured in the U.S. of A. There are over 38 patterns to choose from. Like a couple of patterns and you can't decide, you can order a sample of each. And check out their website at libertytabletop.com and enter the promo code BEN for 15% off all flatware. Just in time for you to freshen up your holiday table setting with Liberty Tabletop Flatware, manufactured in the United States. They make great wedding and Christmas gifts, too. Flatware that can be passed down for generations. So check out their website at LibertyTabletop.com and enter promo code BEN for 15% off all flatware. LibertyTabletop.com, promo code BEN.